Hey guys, welcome to The Call, men's Bible study with men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck. I'm your host, Jeremy, and we're so glad to have you join us today for part four in our series, My Disciple. Now, just recently, a gentleman in Japan paid $3 million for a rare 615-pound bluefin tuna. Now, that doesn't make much sense for you, but when you get past the headline and find out that this man is a president of a Japanese sushi restaurant chain, it starts to make more sense. Clearly, this man, because of who he is, is willing to pay a very high price for what he values the most. Personal value determines personal price we are willing to pay. If it is important to us, the price is worth the price we sacrifice for and what we value. Did you know that Jesus says the same thing is true about his disciples? He says that if we place a high value on our relationship with him, no cost we pay to follow him is too high, nor is any sacrifice too great. He says that the price we are willing to pay reveals the person we really are. That's how he knows there's a true connection. Now, let's join Kenny at Crossline Church, live from Laguna Hills, California, for part four of My Disciple. Learning is how God assesses a true identity. And what I want us to do is learn a little bit about how God assesses, and then we'll get into the next characteristic of a true disciple. Now, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is 1 Samuel 16, 7. Maybe you've read it before. It's the story of Samuel the judge looking for the next future king. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, he is told to go to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has a bunch of sons, and he says, I got to see those, those kids, Right? And so Jesse starts marching out his sons, and then let's roll the film. Imagine you're Samuel, you're looking for a king, and you're going you're gonna to do what most guys do, all right? Here we go, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, one of Jesse's sons, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, let's finish the verse together, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now you know why I love this verse. Because men swallow the outward appearance. It says something about how we evaluate others. We're very quick to just go, oh yeah, he's at church, he carries a Bible, he talks the talk, he has the God talk, seems like a pretty good guy. All right, That's what Samuel was thinking. He's like, man, tall, handsome, he's a Jew. He's, he, God told me to go to this house. That's got to be him. But then God says, no, that's not him. In fact, if you read the context of the passage, David isn't even a consideration. He's an afterthought. Samuel gets through all of the sons, and he goes, hey, you got any more? He's like, oh, well, we have this one more. He's out tending the sheep. It's like, in Jesse's mind, he didn't even consider David the man after God's own heart. So you see how far off both Jesse and Samuel were. Why? Because we evaluate based on outward appearance. Now fast forward to see the heart of God and how he assesses people to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is, is assessing and actually critiquing religious guys. All right, they're called the teachers of the law and Pharisees. So let's roll the film in the New Testament and read Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Ready? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So you see that that men, and you want to write this down, man weighs appearances and actions. That's what we're evaluating, okay? And on the next line, it's supposed to say, God weighs. And what does God weigh? God weighs intentions and integrity. Man weighs appearances and actions. We're judging from the outside. We're looking at the outward appearance. God weighs intentions, motives, all right? True affections and integrity. Now, why integrity? Because it's the opposite of hypocrisy. If you really want to get God's energy up, all right, worship a counterfeit God and be a counterfeit follower. And here in the New Testament, we see Jesus reveal his heart and how he sees totally past the outsides of men. And he sees right through to their heart. He says, man, you really got it going on the outside. And that's the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Man, they, they dressed the right way. They quoted the scripture. They acted holy, they talk holy, they do all these things, but then he says, you know, you're like those tombs, okay, that are, that are really clean on the outside, but on the inside, there's something else going on. I see you on the inside. So we have Jesus assessing religious men. That should all cause us to pause, because you're here and you're online watching this live stream Bible study, because you love the Lord. You love the Lord, but you got to see how God's assessing you. In Matthew 23, verses 1 and 2, he said this. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they have this position. All right. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Listen, but don't, do not do what they do. Let's finish it together. For they do not practice what they preach. So you see there's a a disconnect between their identity and their true activity, okay? Because they're they're busy. They're going through the religious motions, but God's looking at their heart, and on the inside, they're hypocrites, so their religious actions on the outsides do not count. And Jesus is canceling out all of their religious activities because their heart is in the wrong space. Tells us a little bit about God, doesn't it? All right, so now let's get into the next theme of my disciple. We have been learning how a true disciple holds to the teachings of Jesus. We know that a true disciple abides in Christ and produces fruit, showing themselves to be my disciple. And then Jesus said, You'll, they'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for the other. Those are the three themes we've hit in parts one, two, and three. In part four, we're going to look at the cost of discipleship. Let's read Matthew 16, 24 together. Ready? Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The theme of part four is sacrifice. A disciple of Jesus Christ sacrifices to love God and to love people. And it expresses itself in many different ways. In fact, Jesus talks about counting the cost. We, you know, 
we, we, we say, hey, man, that, that person didn't finish because they didn't count the cost. And you just can't, like, lay on a couch and then decide to run the Boston Marathon because you didn't count the cost. You're like, ah, oh, you, your, your cost was a little lower than the true physical cost that it was going to take. Same thing in building, right? There's some architects in the room, might be a builder or construction person. You got to count the cost before you start building that thing, right? And Jesus talks in that language, and anytime Jesus uses the language of a house or a tower, he's talking about a life, all right? So with that lens, let's read Luke 14, 28 to 30. Ready? Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Right? That person didn't count the cost. And when Jesus says uh, in, in, in Matthew or in, in Matthew uh, 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you got you to gotta count the cost. You know, Jesus, the, the, the funnel is wide open. It's whoever believes in me will be saved. Okay, so the funnel at the top is wide open. But, and, and Jesus will say to men, hey, come and see, just like he did with the early disciples who saw him walk by and they started following him. And he says, what do you want? And they said, we want to see where you're staying. And he said, come and see. And he spent the day with them. Jesus will issue invitations. Come and see. And then as you get, as, as you get to know him and as the relationship grows, it's, now it's come and commit. And then it's come and die. Let's say those three invitations. Come and see. Come and, see. Come and commit. Come and, commit. Come and die. See, as you get to know Jesus, you begin to understand Wow, he wants my whole life. He wants everything. He doesn't want a 60-40 disciple or a 70-30 or an 80-20 or a 90-10 or even a 95-5 disciple. He wants 100% allegiance and commitment from you in every area of your life. You know, it's an interesting dynamic in Christianity where people want Jesus as their power and solution, but he, they do not want his authority. You ever sense that? You ever feel that yourself? I do. I want Jesus' power for my situation. I need his help. I want Jesus for my solution. Man, I need, I need wisdom. I need counsel. I need character. I want Jesus as my solution. But sometimes I have an adversarial relationship with his authority. That's a problem. And this is why we're talking about this. Because Jesus isn't just your power and your solution. He is your authority. He wants it all. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that in part five even more. And so when we talk about sacrifice biblically as a disciple, what does it mean? Write this down. When I sacrifice, I say no to self in order to say yes to God. That's the simplest definition of what it means to be a disciple. When Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. What's he saying? That the lifestyle of a disciple every day in every area of their lives is that they say no to self in order to say yes to God and his purpose. It's just not an ascetic, monastic, martyr-like existence where we're like, no, I can't do that, and no, I can't do that, no, I can't do that. When we sacrifice for Jesus as a disciple, it's a, it's a no for a yes 
And we know that the yes is eternal. We know that the yes has the character of God behind it. We know that the yes has God's sovereignty and wisdom and love and blessing in there. Although at the time when we make that sacrifice, 99% of the time, you're not going to see or feel that reward or blessing in the moment. You say, how do you know that, Kenny? Because what Jesus models for us in the Garden of Gethsemane before he says yes to the cross is what's meant for us. And that's the analogy that he uses. He says, if any man is my truly my disciple, he's going to deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Did, did the comfort come before the glory in the Garden of Gethsemane? Nope. He said, God, do you have a plan B? Father, do you have a plan B? Is there any other way? Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And then Jesus stands up and says, rise, let us go, my betrayer cometh. Now we're going into the discomfort before the glory. So when we talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, it's a lifestyle of making hard decisions in the moment, saying no to self, and saying yes to God, but there is a greater glory. Say greater glory. There's a greater glory that on the backside... All right, we're just going to go, man, I'm really glad in that moment I made the sacrifice. Want to know why? Because we're, we're glad Jesus made the single greatest sacrifice of all, and it was before he went to the cross. It's when he made the decision that this is how I feel about it, but I, I believe that what God declares to be significant is greater, and I'm going to choose that it go against myself and my comfort and my convenience because I have you in mind. Single greatest masculine decision ever in human history was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to go against my, my comfort. I'm going to choose discomfort because there's relationship on the other side. When you sacrifice for Christ, you choose a little discomfort. Because it's a no and a yes, right? There's a tension in, in between a no and a yes, right? So just as we filter this whole idea of what it means to be a disciple, I want you to start thinking about, you know, where is God calling you to maybe have a no and a yes in your life? And, and if, it's, if there's discomfort, are you running away from the discomfort or are you moving toward the discomfort? You see, that's, that's, that's the difference between men and boys, you know, boys go with their feelings, and men actually choose discomfort for a higher purpose because they have the big picture, all right? Look at what it says in Hebrews 12, 11. Let's read it together. Ready? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We all, if you, if you participated in a sport, if you ever trained in sales, if you've ever trained in a job, if you've ever trained in manufacturing, if you've ever trained in anything, it's kind of like painful when you're first getting going because you're just learning, right? And I love that the Bible is honest. I want you to, if you're here, circle no discipline. That's where we get the word disciple. The word discipline comes from the, the word disciple. You know, most of the letters are all there. And you know, a disciple is comfortable with, with discomfort. It's like no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, interesting. Isn't it interesting how 
how Hebrews kind of reflects the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus disciplined himself in that moment. It was unpleasant, and certainly it became what? Painful. But later on, Friday came, but then Sunday was a coming. Amen? Later on, man, it produced, and, and, and God gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated in that place. And so if we're a true follower and disciple of Jesus, we're going to make some unpleasant decisions with respect to our relationships, with respect to our finances, with respect to our parenting, with respect to our neighbor, with respect to where we put our energy, with respect to how we budget our time, with respect to our relationship with church. We're going to make some decisions that are going to rub against the grain of what we really feel like doing in that season or moment. But that's a disciple. They accept that pain in the moment because they realize there is a greater glory and a harvest of righteousness later on. In fact, when the Bible says it produces a harvest of righteousness, that goes to the character which we talked about uh, in part three. When God's man abides in Christ, he produces fruit. What are, what's the fruit? It's the character of Christ and the conduct of Christ. When we discipline ourselves to sacrifice, we're actually becoming like Jesus. It's a sign that we're becoming like Jesus. Because that character of saying no to self to say yes to God, that's the essence of why Jesus came. Is to get to that moment in the garden and, and say, I'm going to say no to myself because there's people on the other side of this decision I have to make and a relationship with my father and I want to achieve his work and I want a relationship with you and you and you and you and you and you. So I'm going to make that decision, right? So no to self, yes to God, but it's, it's not going to be pleasant. So let's talk about sacrifice and let's, let's kind of see what it involves. Sacrifice involves discomfort. Write that down. Sacrifice equals discomfort. Anytime you make a sacrifice, because you're giving up something to gain something else, all right? Secondly, sacrifice involves delay. Bible says later on it produces, okay? So in the moment, you're not going to get the product of your sacrifice. That's why it's called a sacrifice. You have to delay your gratification, all right? Third, sacrifice delivers. If you've, if you've got the right decision that's going to create the right result, that sacrifice is going to deliver for you. It's just not going to deliver right away. It will produce a harvest. And that's where faith comes in. You have to say to yourself, based on what, what I know about God and what I know about his character and how trustworthy he is and how much he loves me, he says, X, I'm going to do Y in that moment because it's going to produce for me. I know. I have confidence. Can I get a witness on that one in your guys' lives? where you trusted God in the moment, you couldn't see the outcome, and then you're like, whew, I'm glad I made that sacrifice in the moment. I'm glad I did that. Fourth, uh, sacrifice uh, makes demands. It says this, for those who have been trained by it, all right? So discomfort, delay, sacrifice delivers, and then sacrifice is gonna make demands. And, and that's where Jesus says, you know, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, no, just kind of let that imagery sink in. Remember when they told Jesus, hey, pick that up. This is after beating him bloody. Hey, pick that up. 
even when he was already exhausted and bleeding and losing blood, they said, hey, you're going to have to carry that thing. Let's go. Wow. Talk about extending your finish line, right? That's what it feels like to be a disciple, right? The Apostle Paul, when he's talking to Christians, he's pastoring Christians in the first century, he, he's saying things that would let them know how he's evaluating, and the Colossian believers got this little little few sentences from Paul, which reveals how, as a pastor, he's evaluating the growth of believers. He says, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. Let's finish it together. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see the context where Paul is saying, you've received Christ, now continue to live in him. So there's salvation, there's a, there's a beginning of relationship, and then there's this continuation, right? And in the continuation, the lens, the glasses that, that he's wearing, he's like, okay, how are they doing? I know that I led them to Christ. How are they doing now? And Paul says, you know what? I'm stoked to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is, right? And then he's just like, all right, keep doing that. They're disciplined. They sacrifice for their relationship uh, with God. So let's get into some of the real practical ways that a disciple sacrifices and shows themselves to be Christ's disciple. Number one, I sacrifice my desires. I sacrifice my desires. I don't know if you have ever felt this before where you feel like doing one thing and God says, you're not doing that, you're doing this. Anybody? Okay, so that's, that's what we're talking about here. I desire to do this. God says, nah, ah, 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 ah. you're going to do that. And you're like, I don't want to do that. All right? Talks about this, this pull, this tug between flesh and spirit in Galatians 5.16. Let's read it together. Ready? So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think the world would be a better place if the 700 million men who claim to be a follower of Jesus listened to the Holy Spirit more and listened to their flesh less. Do you think that you would be better if you listened to the Spirit more and listened to your flesh less? I would be a ton better. And this is the battle that we're in, men. Every day, every moment, every decision that involves people, relationships with, with, with them or with God, this is the battle. And it gives us the key. Circle, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That's why you've heard me say so many times, like ad infinitum, ad nauseum for some of you, that you know I wake up every day, and even on the drive down here to have this Bible study, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then I say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, control me. Let's say that. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, control me. Why do I say that? Because I don't want to listen to the chump. There's the chump and the champ, all right? There's Christ and there's Kenny. And I don't want to listen to the chump because I have a chump inside. The Bible calls it my, my flesh, my sinful nature. I'm done with the chump. Anybody else? I'm done with him. He never, I, if I listen to him, I just get in trouble. 
or worse, I destroy people. So the Bible says I sacrifice my desires. Why? Because I, I don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to I satisfy the desires of God. I want to be a disciple. Number two, I sacrifice my affections. Okay, kind of similar. Look what it says in Proverbs 4.23, the warning. Ready? Let's read it together. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And you have to understand the biblical context of what the, it means when it says heart. That's your center. That's your core. That's your mind. That's your will. That's your affections. That's your passions. It's, it's who you are. When we say, you know, like Rudy, right? You know, like in the movie Rudy, the kid who played for Notre Dame, Eric Parsegian said, man, I wish I could take out your heart and put it into all my other players. What's he saying? The way you think, your passion, your energy. Wasn't talking about the physical because he was a scrawny guy, but not scrawny, but just smaller, right? But he's just saying, man, I wish I could give them your heart. Your heart, when the Bible says guard your heart, it's because that's, that's your center. You know, that's, that's where your truest passions and affections lie. You know what? It's also where your truest hurts and wounds are. And if your heart is unhealed or if you allow your heart to be polluted with lies that serve you, right, then the, what flows out of it is going gonna, is gonna to be destructive. And so when we talk about sacrifice, we have to sacrifice our desires to be a disciple. We have to sacrifice our affections, you know, and that's why Jesus said, you know, I'm, you're going to love me. All your heart. The word for heart in the Bible is cardia. That's where we get cardiac and all that stuff. And um, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, it's every single fiber of your desires, your affections, your thinking. I mean, Jesus wants it all. All right, let's look at the third thing. I sacrifice my words. Now we're getting really practical, huh? We're getting, we're, now, now, now we're really, now it's going to start, you're going to start feeling it a little bit more. Desires, affections, all kind of, you know, abstract and conceptual. How about your words? All right, look at what it says in the Bible. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Let's read it together. Ready? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So this whole idea of saying no to self to say yes to God, it works itself out in your practical, everyday interactions with people. Right? Now, think about your, your blast radius of who you are. There's you. Then who's in your first circle? First circle, women, children, friends, coworkers, you know. You're going you're to be called to say no to yourself and say yes to building them up in some way. And it may not be in work language. It might actually be in personal language or in motivational language or encouraging language. All right? But I sacrifice my words. When I <laughs> See, a lot of you know me as I am now or maybe for the past 20 years, but 33 years ago, um, I, I made no sacrifices with my words. Let's just put it that <laughs> Let's put it that way. In fact, I was a cussing artist, you know, mostly just to get the cheap acceptance from friends and things like that. But boy, the Holy Spirit came into my life. I committed my life to Christ. I went from being a destroyer and a tear down and a competitor with my words to someone who could build up people a little bit better. 
and love people a little bit better. All right, let's look. Number four, I sacrifice my eyes. Okay, now we're really getting. I mean, what I take in with my eyes? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus says, you got to guard that if you're going to sacrifice to be my disciple. Let's read Matthew 6, 22. Ready? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, just to illustrate, there are roughly five to 6,000 recreational killings in America. The FBI says that in over 95% of those cases, the recreational killer is, is steeped in pornography. Make that connection. Letting his eyes feast selfishly on kids or women that are not theirs, that it acts pharmacologically, that high of looking doesn't, doesn't satisfy anymore. Then there's the, decide, the, 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 the move up, the, the leveling up to behaviors and whatever those behaviors are. And somewhere along the way, those behaviors don't satisfy pharmacologically because it acts pharmacologically in the brain. Not enough dopamine being released. Now we have to graduate to murder because that's going to create the sensation. Okay. Now, when I talk about pornography or the things you let your eyes dwell on. And I know that in a room this size, that's an issue in this room. It's not if. I mean, you don't have to search for pornography. Pornography will find you, amen? It finds you. Pop-ups find you. I mean, the, in the oddest ways. But that stuff is demonic. It's demonic. It's a false fountain. You know, that's why when, when, when Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, how do you lust after a woman in your heart? You start the eyes and the mind going, man. And so I'm just using this as an example. You could, you could lust, you could covet with your eyes, you could see and want material things, you can see and want physical things, you can see and want a person, all right? You have to guard your eyes, all right? Next, we sacrifice our mind. We're saying no to say yes with our words, with our eyes, with our mind, with our desires, with our affections. Um, let's read 2 Corinthians 10.5 together. Ready? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Are all thoughts good thoughts? No, that's why the Bible teaches that you have to run your mind like a custom station. If any of you have traveled to another country, you show up, they put you in a special terminal, they put you in a special line, you got to see a special little person sitting in a special little box that's going to ask you questions. Hi, Mr. Luck, welcome to Canada. Why are you here? And where are you staying? And how long will you be here? And then they decide whether to go, welcome to Canada, or sorry, you're going to have to go to the other room, because we have some more questions we want to ask. Now, why is there, it's interesting that we're talking about this and the, the border debates going on, um, but there's a reason, because there is a legitimate concern that if certain people get into that country, they are going to ruin or harm the citizens of that nation. So that's why there's border patrol and customs agents. And so they're asking questions, they're assessing. Now, when the Bible says that you are to take captive every thought, that means that, that all thoughts aren't good thoughts, 
And then when certain thoughts present themselves at the doorstep of your mind, you have to evaluate and you have to decide, does this assist me in being a disciple and loving God and loving people, or it doesn't, and then you make the decision, okay, that's a yay or a nay, and I'm going to reject that and not let it in. The problem is, is that we don't manage our minds aggressively, men. And when you don't manage your mind and love God with your mind and you let certain thoughts in and you let them sit there and dwell, or maybe you even expand upon them and extend them with your will, you start building scenarios in your mind. The way you, th- the way you think is going to work out in the way you live, eventually. I am what I think, and I do what I think. That's why when Jesus says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your... But this is how you got to love God with your mind. It's not just you know, being in worship and taking in good thoughts and, and saying, all right, I want to repeat those back out. No, it's like, no, that's a negative thought. That's a, that's a wrong thought. And you got to meet that thought with God's truth. We demolish it. That's not going to help me love God and people. And the only way that you can demolish a thought that is trying to get in is by speaking the word of truth. You have to confront thoughts raised up against the knowledge of God. Look at the passage. What thoughts are we demolishing? Thoughts that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Well, what helps me know God? Loving him and loving people. All right. So when the thought comes in that goes against me loving God and people, then what am I supposed to fight with? What's my bat? What do I just, I crush that thing with. I crush it with the word of God. That's what you see Jesus doing in Luke 4 when he's tempted by Satan, right? It's just a suggestion. If you're the son of man, turn that stone into bread. Let's flex that muscle. Let's see what you got. It's a goading. It's a baiting to get Jesus to act impulsively in the flesh. And he's like, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See what he did? He demolished that thought with a a thought and a truth from God's word. Do you see the picture? That's how you demolish a negative. That's how you take every thought captive. That's your filter, which means you gotta be in this book. This is your primary weapon. This goes to, I want Jesus as my power and solution, but I don't want his authority. This is your authority. You need to know this book, all right? Next, I sacrifice my time. Ephesians 5, verse 16, I want us to read that together. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Circle the days are evil. Earth is war. Earth is war. Earth is not heaven. And I don't know where you live on the globe, but if you live where we live in Southern California, and then you live within Southern California in South Orange County, there's a lot of energy expended trying to build heaven on earth here. Earth is not heaven. The days are evil. So in the mix of all this materialism and hedonism and narcissism is a real fever pitch spiritual battle that's going on and you're in the middle of it and you're a disciple and God's calling you in the middle of where we live in Southern California or in the middle of where you live, wherever that is, to make the most of every opportunity because there is an epic panoramic spiritual battle going on and it's happening in the battle in your neighbor, in your workplace, in in the people that you see and you're the ambassador of God's purposes. 
And so we have to take advantage. So that's why the Bible says, be very careful how you use your time. Yes, we're going to wake up, we're going to go to work. But when you're at work, man, look for those opportunities, those doors to shine the light of Christ or maybe even speak a word of encouragement or share the gospel or invite someone to men's Bible study, okay, which a lot of you guys are doing. Look at what it says in John chapter 9, verse 4. Just feel the urgency of Jesus when he says this. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words in red. Let's read it together. Ready? As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. I don't know when your night's going to come. My night almost came a couple of years ago when me and Pastor JP were coming back from an angels game and a drunk driver ran a stop sign. That, that would have been my night is coming when no man can work. Did I expect it to come at 1045 on a Tuesday night? Nope. But that was very close to being my moment when my night came on earth and I entered the day of heaven. Guys, you're not guaranteed the next hour. So when you evaluate, hey, I'm a disciple, I'm sacrificing desires, affections, words, eyes, mind, time. Remember those words of Jesus. I, this is one I commit to memory. As long as it is day, we must work the works. He's talking to the disciples. We, we, me and my followers, we must work the works of him who sent us for night is coming when no man can work. You know, that's why these fellowships are forming because we have a sense that Either night is coming or the king is coming. Amen? All right? So that's why we're forming and we're coming together because there's an urgency to this meeting. It's super relevant, especially in today's toxic masculinity, hashtag me too culture. The world is waiting for us to start taking advantage of every opportunity and doing the works that God's put us on earth to do. All right, next theme. I sacrifice my relationships. Listen to... Galatians 5, 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom, listen to the language, to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Let's finish it together. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You could write that headline in every major newspaper in every major American city across the country right now, all right? And what the world kind of needs is the local church and the men in the local church. We've got the women and the kids. We need to activate the men in the local church. We've got to start changing this whole dialogue in terms of how we serve one another humbly in love. And that's the, when, when, when I say sacrifice my relationships, it means that I, I serve myself less and I serve my brother more. I serve myself less and I serve my wife more. I serve myself less and I serve my kids more. I serve myself less and I serve my neighbor more. I serve myself less and I serve that sexually trafficked uh, person and I help them get free. I serve myself less and I start serving the least of these. You follow what I'm saying? What are you doing? With your relationships, your, with your, with your, in your first circle and with your fellow man and with your fellow Christian, all right? We make sacrifices for relationships. Why? Because Jesus did. He lives in us. We're a disciple, all right? Next, I sacrifice my boundaries. This is an interesting one. Let's read Mark 9, and then we'll unpack that one, all right? Let's read together. Ready? 
If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about sin and how sin can harm your relationships with God and people. And so then we have to, in our own awareness of ourselves, honest, honest with ourselves, that's why he uses conditional language. He's putting the burden on the listener. And he's saying, you know, if you know that this is a problem for you, you've got to take a dramatic step. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, all my disciples, we'd be walking around without eyes, hands, limbs. Good thing he doesn't mention other parts of the body. You know what I'm saying? All right? Because if he was really, you know, but Jesus didn't do that, it would be too painful. Anyway, so it's, it's this picture of, okay, you got to know yourself if this is a problem for you, if this is a problem for you, or if that's a problem for you. You have to take a dramatic step. And he uses the first century language of amputation. And amputation is three things, okay? Let's say them together. Say painful, painful. Thorough, thorough, worthwhile. That's what it means to be a disciple. You have to know yourself well enough to say, you know what? I don't do good in those situations. I'm going to take a dramatic step, and I'm going to cut off. I'm going to put a filter on my computer. I'm not going to... I, I remember telling my wife, you can't have the magazine which has the angels in it. You know which magazine I'm talking about? That's canceled. All those, you know, thing, and, and, and she was like, okay. That's because, I don't know about you, but when I see a really good looking woman, my eyes go, oop. Okay, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a human man. But I... I know, because I know myself, and I know I'm one step away from really stupid, that I have to have some boundaries in my life. So I, as a disciple of Jesus, I have a very clear code of yeses and nos that, that tell me where I can and can't go. That's offensive to my flesh. Wait a minute. You have rules that say you can't go there or be alone with a woman or look at that on a computer or if there's too much skin on the screen, you're walking away. Absolutely, I have those rules because I know who I am. I'm, on, I'm trying to be more honest with myself, but that's what is called a boundary. It is a predetermined rule that you have in your life because you know that this is a problem for you. And I, I just don't go there, you know. The temptation can't overcome me if I'm not playing, amen? So I remove the pressure by having a boundary that says, no, because of my identity as a disciple, I don't even go there because I know what will happen, okay? And I have a low view of my ability to overcome temptation, not a high view, okay? And that's the problem with most Christian men. They think, oh, I can just show up in the middle of this, not have any boundaries, and I'll be strong. Yeah, how's that working for you? That's, that's, just put an equal sign after that attitude and it says bondage, 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 right? If you think like that, all right? Next area we got to sacrifice is, is in our emotions, where we have to control our emotions, right? I don't know if you've ever seen any of these YouTube videos of road rage and people getting out of their cars and, you know, going after each other with bats and all this stuff. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like morbid, uh, you know, morbidly fun to watch, but then you're just like, oh, somebody got really hit with that thing, you know? And the, and the example in the Bible where I see God trying to work with a man and his emotions and trying to rein him in is Cain, of course, and he, he failed, but the dialogue that God has with him is really significant, all right? So do you remember the story? God says, I want you to make a sacrifice. 
for me. His brother Abel brings a great sacrifice. Thoughtful. Cain just kind of throws together something, brings it. And God like, is like, way to go, Abel. And he's like, really, Cain? You're going to give me that? That's your best? You know? And so then Cain feels ashamed for offering a bad sacrifice. And instead of saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back out and get a good sacrifice and bring it back. You know, he gets, he gets instead of taking responsibility, he projects his shame into anger. And now it's just like, oh, Abel, all right? So now, intervening, let's roll the film on Cain. Ready? Let's read together. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That's where, no matter how he felt, God's just saying, hey, look, man, it can all be good. Just be honest with yourself, honest with me, and go back and do the right thing. There's a moment in Cain's life where it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm a man. I feel these feelings inside. I don't know what to do with them. And I can do one of two things with this pressure building up inside. I can humble myself and be honest with myself and look in the mirror and say, you're the problem. Or I can then shove those off and then say, you know what, I'm just going to eliminate the source. Okay, I don't want to be reminded of my second place offering. And God intervenes and he's just like, why are you angry? Just do the right thing and you'll be accepted. But he, he was going to have to get control over his emotions. And that image, sin is crouching at the door because he couldn't get control over his emotions. You ever seen those pictures of, of, of ancient buildings with a gargoyle on the outside like this? That's the picture. Sin is crouching. It's just like, okay, I'm going to walk out of this little interaction and internal battle, and I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to repent and do the right thing, or I'm just going to go with how I feel and believe a lie and then walk out of that moment, and then it's right there. Sin is crouching at the door. That's why when the Bible talks about Satan being a roaring lion, looking for someone to what? Devour. Wow. It, it's important that you make sacrifices. And once you learn, like, hey, this, is, this will show love for God and people and it'll be benefit for me, you'll sacrifice and you'll, you'll kind of pause. Because there's stimulus and response, and the devil is all into, hey, stimulus and then respond. Right? God is stimulus, pause, remember who you are, think about this for a second, listen to the Holy Spirit, then respond. All right? See how the devil's invested in plan A? Stimulus response, not stimulus pause. All right, I'm a disciple. I'm a man of God. I have to sacrifice my feelings sometimes, all right? And, and that's the way we, we need to, to retrain ourselves. All right, last one. Um, I sacrifice my attitudes. Now, these are all really practical. Desires, affections, words, eyes, mind, time, relationships, boundaries, emotions. Looks like we're talking about a lifestyle. Last is attitudes. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Ready? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I have to tell you that when I was first uh, reading the Bible and I came across this verse, I had a big problem with it. Because it says, it says, always? Rejoice always? Right? Pray continually? Like pray without ceasing? How do you do that? Give thanks in all circumstances? Wait, 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 wait. 
I live on earth. There's a lot of injustice and bad circumstances and negative adversities that I'm facing. You I mean, I can, I can, uh, you're calling me to do that. How do you do that? And then, it, and then the, the capper, the coup de grace is, this is God's will for you. Whenever you see in the Bible, this is God's will for you, you should pay really close attention to that. But what it does is it calls us to sacrifice in the realm of our attitude where we're being confronted with adversity, we're being confronted with circumstances that aren't good, but because we have this connection with God, it gives us perspective on those circumstances and adversity, and we have a model in the gospel of Jesus where that was adverse at the cross, and that didn't feel good, and, but there was a resurrection being planned, there was God's love in the middle of it, God was redeeming you and me in the middle of that adverse circumstances. And so since we have this connection to a higher perspective, God's, and he loves us, and we have a model in the gospel, we know now as disciples of Christ that anything that happens to us has gone through God before it gets to us. And because we know God and that God loves me and is wise and is sovereign as modeled in sending his son, he loved us that much, that same love is in operation when we're going through delay, difficulty, trial, tribulation, there's a purpose. Now, I, with that lens, I can go back and say, I can rejoice always. I can pray continually. I can give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. And I, I can see how that's God's will. Why? Because there is a template for believing that, and there's experiences that I have, and then there's just who God is, and that God's over all of those things, right? So I have to sacrifice in my attitude. So you see the picture? How a true disciple sacrifices any you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow you. What does it look like? It's a lifestyle, men. Now, we sacrifice for what's valuable to us, right? read a story just yesterday how the, this guy in Japan paid $3 million for a bluefin tuna that was caught. Now, if you didn't know who he was, you'd go, he's stupid. But in Japan, he's the owner of the largest sushi chain. And it's the kickoff of the tuna season in Japan. And so this rare 615-pound bluefin tuna, it was just like, man, I value tuna. I am the tuna man. I am laying down $3 million for my bluefin tuna. All right? Say this with me. The prize is worth the price. The prize is worth the price. For him, because he's the sushi man in Japan, that price is worth the price. Why? Because then they had this big PR thing, and there's the Tona, and now he can promote his stuff, right? Now, the prize is worth the price, right? The sacrifice, the cost. We always pay a steep price for what we value. When Jesus says, you, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You know what he's saying? It's a value statement. If you love me, you'll pay the price. Right. Let's ask God to do that right now. Amen? All right. Lord, we, um, first of all, we just confess that in the small spaces of our lives, we need to do better. You don't want parts of us. You want all of us. 
And there are some sacrifices uh, in the room and with everybody watching this, this Bible study of your men. There are people listening to the sound of my voice, and they haven't made peace yet with you about an area of sacrifice where you're calling them to do what you did, to say, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And Lord, we read this morning that if we live by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So Lord, right now, with, the heart, with our hearts open to you, Lord, we, at, we invite you to come anew and bring living water and refreshment to our desires and our affections. We ask you to take over our tongues and our eyes. Help us to be vigilant with our mind. Help us to, to be wise and redeem the time. God, we surrender our relationships to you, every relationship we have, that we might serve other people humbly in love. Pray that we would be honest with ourselves, that you would make us aware of ourselves. Just help us not to be like Cain. Help us to be humble. Help us to be honest with you, with ourselves, and with other people. God, we're asking you to bring us to that spirit-filled, spirit-empowered place where we can rejoice always, talk to you continually, and give thanks in all circumstances because it's your will and because, Jesus, you showed us how to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, we surrender control to you today. Make us more like Christ and teach us what it means to be a disciple today in the big and small spaces of our lives. In Christ's name we pray and God's men say, amen. Y'all, y'all, y'all ready for this? Uh.